Hello and welcome to God's Word During Exile. We are a group of pastors that have gotten together and decided to start a Bible study together that we broadcast on Facebook and also on a number of different podcast apps. And so you can find us there. Uh, we hope that you'd consider sharing what you're hearing with a friend or maybe a colleague or a loved one. Uh, so today, Matt, welcome back. We are happy to have you here. We apologize that you did not get to go to Disney with us, um, but that's a small price to pay for the enjoyment of getting to shoot paintballs at Mike Hussey. That's right. And uh, as a little act of revenge, next time we play, I'm demanding that Mike wear his uh, Mickey Mouse ears and I'm shopping for a, you know, a nice paintball gun so that I can you know, knock those right off his head. Nice. <laughs> Nothing like a little revenge. I think that's biblical. Probably not. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, we welcome you guys in. We're happy that you're here. And uh, Matt, we welcome you back after your break. Uh, so without further ado, Mike Hussey's over here. Ben's over here. And Matt is down here. And we are grateful that you chose to join us. And we're going to have Mr. Ben open us in a word of prayer. Right, let's pray together. Hi, Father, thank you for uh, this day that you have given to us. And we thank you for uh, your word. And we just ask that you would um, grant your Holy Spirit to us and to our listeners that we may understand uh, what you have written uh, in Revelation today. Um, and help us to take it to heart and to hear what you have to say, even when there are hard things to hear or challenging things to hear. And we ask you that you would grant to us the endurance of faith and faithfulness that in, uh, goes on to eternal life. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 All right. Well, today we're going to be jumping into Revelation chapter 13. Uh, more than likely, I think we'll get through the first 10 verses today, but uh, this section is definitely all connected, so we're going to read the whole chapter. So we will read Revelation chapter 13, uh, the entire thing in Jesus' name, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version today. Thanks be to God. No, that's, it comes at the end. Uh, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war with the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to, to captivity, he goes. 
if anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. The word of the Lord. Speak to God. Thank you, Ben. All right. I know everybody would probably like us to start in probably like verse 16 and go through 18 and talk about the mark of the beast, but be patient. Tune in next week. We will get there. Maybe we'll magically go through 18 verses today and get there today, but I doubt it. Uh, so let's jump back to verse one, start talking about this first beast that rises out of the sea. I kind of doubt we have to go any farther than that before we have something interesting to talk about in relation to this beast. What uh, what might this imagery of rising out of the sea have anything to do with anything? You know, I got to be honest. One of the things that I've absolutely loved to do is just Google search some of these and look for images. <laughs> so, like, here's one of the images of the beast that came out of the sea. Not exactly what I thought. Here it is. Triceratops? <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. what is this hodgepodge of transformer slash zoo things that I'm looking at right here? Oh, man. I just found my next mm. tattoo. We're going to do a chest piece with that thing. <laughs> <Wow. laughs> a triceratops? Yeah. What is going on here? <laughs> that was it. I got nothing else other than, like, I saw that and I was like, really? Natal out. That's it. Here, there it is. Here's the mic drop. I mean, Damn. these these verses are some of the ones that uh, people have really latched onto. Some of the imagery of these things, right? And and uh, and some of the interpretations that come out of this chapter are are pretty wild as well. And uh, but just to get back to your question, Mike, is that. Um, if you've been listening or watching these episodes, we've talked about this a number of times, but the sea represents chaos and evil. And so with the beast rising out of the sea, this is, um, you know, a picture of, of a creature that is not coming from God or from a good place, but this is coming from the embodiment of evil. And, and so this is a, a, an evil beast in the, in the most simple way we can say that. I think we can also recognize, I, I believe, a connection here with uh, maybe with the beast coming or the angel coming out of the abyss. 
Uh, there's some language like uh, similar to this anyway, um, where we've got an evil being coming out of an evil place. Yeah, and there's um, so along with that, that's you know certainly all in play too. Some have suggested that since the uh, the second beast um, comes from the earth, that's right. Yeah, right. That together, um, so sea and earth are then connected, and it speaks of you know these are coming from creation that is they're human entities it's not some otherworldly thing but they are human entities that the dragon satan um uses for his own evil purposes and so Mm -hmm. um so that could also be going on uh here as well um just kind of along that lines as we're trying to sort through this um we uh, we also have you know references to you know a beast elsewhere in revelation um, but, uh, like in eleven seven, um, there's a beast coming out of the abyss, um, similar, like I mentioned before the angel coming out of the abyss in nine eleven. but, um, but here we see that this beast is, is being, um, sent by the dragon that we understand to be Satan himself. So this beast is, um, being controlled or guided whether it understands that or not, you know, remains to be seen or, or, uh, you know, who knows maybe, but, but behind this beast is the dragon Satan. And so this is not Satan himself, but, but a puppet you could say of, of the devil. And so, um, then we recognize then more along the lines of what Ben is saying here that, this is be, being a puppet of the devil. Um, we see also that this is an earthly thing, probably um, with these ten horns and seven heads, um, and and some of the descriptions that follow here. We we get clues that this is working off of you know earthly things that that we interact with in this world. Uh, so not a spiritual being. And, and, uh, but being controlled by the devil, guided by him in this world. Well, Matt, since you kind of slid forward and talked a little bit about the rest of verse 13, let's, let's kind of pull in some of those descriptors, the 10 horns, seven heads, the diadems, the blasphemous names. Uh, what are these descriptors of the first beast uh, communicating about, about its nature, about, about what it is we're dealing with? We see that it's, uh, you know, it's very similar to the dragon, right? So the dragon has seven heads, ten horns, um, and he has on his head, though, he has seven diadems, seven gems, whereas uh, this beast has, he has the ten horns and he has the seven heads, but he has ten diadems on its horns uh, as opposed to you know, the, the dragon's diadems are on his head. And it would seem that, so John intends us to see a, you know, a tight connection between the dragon and yeah. the beast. Um, but there does seem to be a difference with the 10 diadems versus the seven. And so it would seem that with seven as a, you know, divine number, that the dragon, Satan, 
tries to present himself as having divine authority. That's part of his mockery and, and um, perverting of, of the truth and the one true God. Um, and we have seen, uh, we see this in Daniel as well, like with the, the 10 horns and things like that, that it speaks of earthly power and authority. So this beast um, is not claiming as the dragon does to have divine authority, but to have earthly authority. And that would fit with, um, uh, let's see, verse two there, that the dragon gives to this beast his authority, right? And so, so this beast is, in that sense, lesser than the dragon. You know, the dragon's kind of the chief uh, antagonist here. He's the, the one chief opponent, and he is then now taking in, you know, first this beast, and then the second beast, as we'll see, and they become his tools and his instruments um, through which he wages war against God and against his church. And maybe, you know, to drive that home a little more, the idea of the diadems being on the head is that that's like that, that being the dragon has that authority or, or so he's presenting himself in that way. He has the authority himself. It being on the horns is like, the dragon has given like success in battle to this dragon because it's on the horns. So it's not like this beast has the authority itself, but it's being given to him. And, and so this beast will have effectiveness in its, in its uh, war making, you could say through its horns. And so it's being empowered by the dragon Um in this world. So again, the 10 representing man's power or authority. So it's active in this world with the devil's power, uh, giving it success. Yeah, and we have also the, the blasphemous names on its heads. And so- I, um, I heard an interesting theory about those blasphemous names. I don't remember where I heard it, but uh, somebody suggested that perhaps the blasphemous names were uh, Voldemort and Orochimaru. <laughs> Uh, ben, can you speak to that? Are those perhaps the names found on the head? <laughs> well, considering Voldemort didn't exist until like two thousand years after Saint John, probably not. Uh, I don't know the other. I don't know the other name. Um, <laughs> but, uh, Just watch some anime; it'll be okay. <laughs> right. um, but no, so these blasphemous names. You know, said so the blasphemy God is to you know, claim for oneself that which rightly belongs to God. So, for example, this is why uh, the Jews responded so strongly when Jesus would make statements like, you know, before Abraham was, I am, or I and the Father are one. They understood that he was claiming to be God. And so their reaction was to pick up stones and try to to stone him. Um, And so the idea here then um, with these blasphemous names is that both for the dragon um, and for his beast, um, they claim things for themselves, an authority, a power, a role that God has not given to them. Um, and kind of as we'll, we'll see here, Satan, as part of his, you know, his mockery of the one true God, which is blasphemy in itself, he kind of sets up his own false kingdom and he has his own uh servants that carry out his will and he 
and he has his own mark that he puts on the people and he has his own version of the the church the bride of christ um you know and he has all of these things that um are a mockery and imitation of the one true god and he tries to claim for himself that which only belongs to god um and so the the beast does the same thing which would make sense because the beast is empowered by the by the dragon um and so um i mean we'll may as well just jump into it too with the to try to help make some some sense of this so the the beast that john sees he says it's like a leopard its feet are like a bear's mouth like a lion's mouth and so we have here again uh in revelation a description of a creature that we would not find in uh, natural creation and so we're not meant we're not meant to take it in a literalistic fashion um, but rather it's kind of a conglomerate of the beasts that Daniel saw in his vision that would speak of you know like um, Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome and they're all kind of mixed together um, and so it so what seems to be going on here is what John intends us to understand is that this beast that has the 10 horns symbol of human authority and power and empowered by the beast is essentially like all, not necessarily limited only to government, but human authority for different figures in human history and human authority that um, are driven by, you know, the dragon to fight against God and against his church and try to rule the world as Satan tries to set up his false kingdom. And we see that um, I think pretty easily throughout history. If we just look at, you know, all of the, basically all of the reigning empires that have ever been essentially claim to be able to do things that only God can do. They act like so many of them act like they are the saviors of the world um, that they are to be followed and, and not God himself. How many, you know, dictators and rulers and governments throughout the history of of our world have demanded the kind of allegiance from its people that we can only give to God you know and we see that you know very much so in Rome where the emperor was seen to be uh, deity and there's a cult of you know emperor worship and you know but this happens all the time in in all different you know emanations throughout history where you know bow the knee to whoever is ruling and otherwise suffer the consequences. And so, um, you know, we are as fallen human beings, we are just as consumed with pride and, and blasphemy as the devil himself. And we desire for ourselves that which only is proper to God. And so it's not hard to see how, you know, this beast, these human authorities empowered by, you know, the devil that they would also blaspheme God and seek to, um, acquire for themselves that which is only proper to God. We're looking for um, the chapter that Ben referred to in Daniel. It's chapter seven, where there's these four beasts in Daniel's vision. And you'll notice there's uh, striking similarities um, there. And so uh, this is an intentional connection that's being made here and so we may refer back to Daniel chapter 7 as we go here to see the similarities or uh, refer back to just how that was used as we go here 
All right, so let's let's keep moving then. Uh, we'll jump into verse three, uh, which is one of the more interesting and and probably as we read this, maybe one of the more contentious verses, or at least one of the verses that people seem to have the most opinions about. Um, but verse three, one of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Now, I remember watching a movie as a kid uh, and they referenced this and it was a person, I believe he got shot and then came back to life. Uh, but what, what in the world could this be that one of the heads receives a mortal wound and is healed and causes more and more people to follow and worship the beast? What are we, what are we getting at? Well, you know, back in, um, Back in uh, John's day, you know, the, the example of, of evil in the world would have been the Roman Empire. And even from his perspective on the island of Patmos, you know, he would have been, you know, able to look across at the Roman Empire, right? And, and that would have been on the mind of everybody that, that was you know, alive during his day and in, in that area. And so they were seeing examples of, of evil at work in this world and in, in that way. And so a lot of the things that John is talking about here, we might be able to find connections in the Roman Empire that we know from history. And this actually sounds a lot like the story of uh, the Roman Emperor Caligula. And uh, he did uh, get seriously ill at one point and then made a dramatic recovery. So that's a possibility of, of what he was talking about. Maybe an example that, that they would have understood. Didn't Caligula also appoint a horse to the Senate? <laughs> I don't know. One of the I think that might've been him. I don't know. But some of you are history buffs and you would know a lot more about Roman history than I do for sure, but you know there there were examples that we can maybe make from some of these specific things that would have been recognized by those who knew what was going on in the Roman Empire. Um, and so, I mean, I don't know if this is the time to start making connections in this way. Then, but you know, is that really what's you know, supposed to be happening here? Are we supposed to see the beast as being the Roman Empire or some other particular, very specific group in in history or even today? What do you guys think about that? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think we're helped in understanding this also by verse five. Um <clears throat> in which John says that the beast was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. So we come back again to the same time period, right? So we have, you know, various stated in various ways, time, times, half a time, you know, 42 months, number of whatever the number of days was. Well, yeah, it was, it's all, it was all, it's all talking about the same time period. So, so we're not in, um, it's not like we're locked into one, particular point in in history um but this is covering the entire time from christ's ascension to his second coming and we see this over and over again in in revelation that this is the time period that 
that is being covered by John's visions. Um, and so we really get off the rails if we try to, you know, pigeonhole it into one particular point in history. And so um, does this beast represent uh, the Roman Empire? Well, we could certainly say yes, but not only the Roman Empire. This would be, and this kind of ties into the, the mortal wound too. So, you know, some, some see that also as a, you know, a mockery of Christ of the lamb who was slain and yet who lives. Um, but also another suggestion, which, which I think makes, makes some good sense with this too, is that the, the idea is kind of a continuous evil government, right? So, so Rome was overthrown, but then another rose after Rome and another after that and another after that. And we have seen that throughout, again, throughout the history of our world as kingdoms rise and fall, right? And there's always, and when one, one tyrant falls, another steps into place. And so that idea of the wound that had been healed um, could speak of that. Well, you know, okay, so that beast dies. And then in a sense, it comes back to life because, well, here's another government. And then that one is overthrown. And well, then he comes back to life in this incarnation of human government that is evil and so on. And so it's, it certainly fits that it could span the entire you know, time from Christ's ascension to his second coming, that we will always have this kind of um, evil in the world. The devil is always throughout all of this time. He is making war on, on God and on his church. Remember, as we go back to 12, um, you know, he couldn't get Christ. So then he went after the woman and he couldn't get the woman. So he goes and makes war on her children. Right. And so and this is what the devil does uh, throughout this entire time. He knows his time is short. His wrath is great. He cannot get at Christ. He cannot get at uh, the woman, the church as, as a whole. Um, but he will go after her children in, in any way that he can. And so it would make sense that, you know, as particular evil uh, government or empire falls, well, then Satan would seek to bring out another one again and again and again and again until finally uh, the beasts and the false prophet and the dragon are cast into hell forever. And so this is an ongoing thing. This fits with what Jesus tells us that, you know, nation rises against nation, that governments, uh, you know, Christians will be brought before governing authorities and put to death um, at various times throughout this, um, the rest of this, age in these last days that we are in have been in for you know some 2000 years and so this kind of characterizes this time period and so i think that makes good sense um that we could understand the mortal wound in that way of dying and rising dying and rising dying and rising it's not it's not a true resurrection in that it's not like you know that nation or government that fell is the same one that rises again so it's not a true resurrection but it is kind of you know the devil in a sense bringing the beast back to life again and again and again just in different expressions of that i mean even within the sense. roman <clears throat> even within the roman empire i mean you had nero too you know and and uh his persecution of believers and attacks on the church right and then um all of this you know even with his suicide and and then the rumors that he actually wasn't dead or that he had risen and but you know you see throughout all of that you know even within the roman empire there were different uh times under different empire emperors that that you know the devil was using people there to be 
an enemy of the church and the truth, right? And emperor worship was being set up more and more strongly. And, and uh, yeah, well, we've seen it throughout our world and throughout time. So we're defining the time period here, not just as being in John's day or not just some uh, short um, period in the future, but the 42 months or the um, when it's being broken down into a time and a time and a time and a half for the days, you know, all of these are referring to this period of time between the resurrection of Christ and his second coming, as we've mentioned. And the beast then is, is uh, any group of people on the earth that it, the devil is rising up uh, to oppose Christ, to imitate, to be a false representation maybe of Christ and, uh, and of the truth and, uh, and being an enemy of the, of the truth ultimately, and then an enemy of the church. So really anytime you might be led to ask the question, could this government, could this nation historical or present be the first beast? The answer is yeah. It absolutely is. It, this is exactly what was being talked about. Was, you know, like, the, were the Nazis the first beast? Oh, absolutely. Was Rome? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, how about, uh, you know, China? Their, their doors are closed to missionaries. They're having the gospel come in, right? Are they the beast? Absolutely. Uh, how about the United States, though? I don't know. We, we allow this thing called abortion. Are we the beast? You better believe we are. Satan is alive and working and attacking the church and attacking Christians, even in the quote unquote Christian nation, right? Yep. And, and he's tricky too. So it's not always even as you would expect because it's going to be often packaged in a way that appears to be right. And it, and so the devil, you know, masquerades as an angel of light right and even as he's working through nations it's off, often persuasive either you know saying hey look we're acting in the, the loving way or we're acting like we have god's blessing um these different methods of tricking people and gaining authority and <clears throat> even if it appears to be right um, when it's the devil's guidance, it's ultimately pointing away from Christ and away from the truth to a counterfeit, uh, which is him and his minions, right? And so we need to be very discerning about this. And, and as we consider whether it is the Lord's power and authority that's raising up things or whether this is the work of the counterfeit God, the devil, um, and, and his, his work, you know, we need to be able to separate that out. So, um, we'll, we'll see as we go more and more descriptions of, of what that's like so that we can actually try to identify who's at work in our world. Yeah. Let me see that. I think we'll just go right to, to verse four. Um, well, so the end of verse three, the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and then verse four, and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? 
And so we might, you know, something for us to, you know, to think about, we might think about you know, who worships their, their government, you know, and maybe that was a time, you know, in times past, like Pharaoh of Egypt or, you know, the, maybe the rulers of Babylon and Persia or, you know, the Roman emperors were, you know, you know, part of that imperial cult, but, you know, we don't, we don't do that today, do we? But it's good for us to, to ask this question because, and I think what's helpful in guiding this too is, you know, as Luther writes in his large catechism on the first commandment, you know, what it means to have a God. And, and he says that God is, you know, basically anyone or anything that we look to for our comfort, for our help, um, to meet our needs. Um, so when we look to for, for aid and, and trust, and I think that, you know, we can certainly um, ask some hard questions of, of ourselves, especially given, you know, a lot of our political state, you know, both now, but also it, this has been going on for a long time. But, but if we just think back to the, you know, the recent elections and some of the rhetoric with that, you know, from the, from the one side, you know, say the conservative side, I mean, the way that some spoke of Donald Trump as if he was a savior come to save America. Um, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. There, there's a lot of this kind of rhetoric, this kind of language that basically, you know, you better vote for Donald Trump because, you know, he's God's appointed. Um, and this, this kind of language is super dangerous. I mean, you're speaking the language of worship. I mean, who, who are you looking to for your help and your comfort? Are you looking for government policy? Are you looking to try to change things through, you know, through politics? Like, yeah, there's a, there's a, a role for us to play as citizens in that, but we are never to attach our hearts and our trust to any politician or any political government or movement. Um, Jesus is our savior, not Donald Trump or anyone else. Right. And so, and that's just from the one side, um, you know, you see us on, on the other side too, with, you know, kind of slavish devotion to those of those on the left to anything that their particular political candidate says, Oh, it can never be wrong. They can never be wrong. They're on the right side of history. You better get in line, you know, let me virtue signal all day long about what you should be doing and how I'm so righteous. And you, you know, you have the categories basically of the righteous and the sinners. Right. And, you know, and you have various things that take the place of, of sacraments, you know, things that everyone must participate in, you know, on the one side, we could, you know, we could certainly think of like abortion and all the transgender garbage um, and confusion and all of that, that you better get on board with that or you're, or you're a sinner and you're an outcast. And, and it's just kind of an interesting thing to think about because we see it on both sides. We see this kind of uh, emperor worship in a sense, the worship of the state, um, that the state's going to fix all of our problems, that it's going to return things to the good old days, which aren't as good as we think that they were. I mean, that's just usually the way it works. As time goes on, we put on the rose-colored glasses and we think everything was great so long ago, but it wasn't. It was just as messed up as it is now. Plus, um, there were outhouses instead of toilets. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just saying, can't be all that good without running water. <laughs> and I mean, you know, we were doing a little bit of this before the, you know, the podcast, but if you just do like a Google search of some of this stuff, I mean, it's... I don't know if we want to show any demonstrations or not, but it's really 
terrible crap and it's blasphemous stuff. Um, and so, yeah, maybe it doesn't look like burning incense to Caesar, but that doesn't mean that, that the idolatry is no longer there. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, as you know, we can think about this all, all around, you know, the world. I mean, there are so many, um, oppressive governments that basically, you know, like North Korea, for example, or, you know, under, under Stalin and in Russia and so on is basically you, you better comply with the government leader or you're going to face the consequences and they demand in a, a kind of allegiance that is only proper to God. And that's something that we need to keep in mind too, because, because whoever, you know, whoever, is sitting in the white house, whatever political party in America, it doesn't matter like who it is. They are going to demand of, of us a kind of allegiance, a level of allegiance that as Christians, we simply cannot give. We cannot give our ultimate allegiance to our nation and to any particular political party because our ultimate allegiance is to God himself. And inevitably because uh, we are sinners and our political parties are made up of sinners and it, it's, just as true no matter who your favorite politician is they're a sinful human being also and that is the nature of sinful humanity is to seek that for itself which belongs to god and so inevitably it you know christians will be asked to give a level of allegiance and loyalty that we simply cannot give and i think that as the church we need to remember that that as we go about engaging in politics as we think about this stuff that our chief allegiance is to god himself and it doesn't matter if it's our favorite politician or our favored political party um, they are still going to at least at some point ask for a, a level of allegiance and loyalty that we cannot give and we have to be able to we have to be able to speak god's truth to both sides to to all people you know and we can't become basically just stooges of one political party or another we have to be able to speak you know when our favorite politician and party do wrong things we have to be able to stand up and say hey that's not right even if there are consequences for that you know and we're generally okay with the thought of oh yeah we can do that to the political party and politicians that we disagree with but what about your favorite ones who are also sinners who also do sinful things are you willing to stand up and say you know what that's not right either you know, are we willing to stay, you know, basically in the middle and get shelled from both sides, which often happens, you know, to speak the truth on an issue, because not everything is cut and dry. It's not all black and white, like, oh, it's this political party is right. That one's wrong. This is, that's not true. There are a lot of issues that cross over into both. And there are problems and sins on both sides. And we have to be able to say, you know what, this is what God's word said. And we stand on that regardless of whether, you know, politician A that I like is in power a politician B that I don't like is in power, you know, and we have to, we need to maintain our clear confession. I think that largely as the church, we have muddied that confession because we've been so obsessed with marrying ourselves off to one political party or another. And then we basically just become stooges and we lose our, our prophetic voice and we aren't what we aren't doing what God has given us to do. Um, You know, we are not, commanded to give you know that level of allegiance to any political party yes insofar as we are able we comply with our 
our governments, we recognize that even evil governments are God's instruments and his tools and so on. But we also understand that there comes a time where we have to say enough is enough and we can't go any further. And then we accept the consequences that may come. But I just, I don't know. I think in a lot of ways we have given up our voice for, you know, at the altar of the state. And, you know, some of you might be saying, whoa, Pastor Ben, pump the brakes on this. Um, You know, I'm not that bad. But I want you to think about this. You know, you might be thinking, hey, I know there are some crazies on the extreme ends of the parties that do this and they're worshiping um, the their political leaders. And some people have gone in all in and they will not allow for any any uh, questioning of their favored leader, right? Um, Some people are totally all in, but think about it this way. Maybe this can be a little bit of a test for yourself, whether you are even leaning this way and struggling with this sin. Think about how, how anxious you feel whenever your party is losing in an election. Think about how angry you are at the people who vote different than you. Uh, Think about how much you despise the people in the other political party. You know, think, you know, think about how much more at peace you feel when your party is winning. And when you think finally things are settling in and I can have some hope and I can take courage and things are going to get better or how terrified and sad or, you know, um, whatever you feel when the other side is losing. These are all signs that you are putting your trust in the politics of this world and in earthly governments and earthly political figures. And, and you're, you're buying into all of this. I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved and be passionate voting citizens because we should be and we should care about these matters. We should vote our conscience based on the truth, but our hope does not come from any political leader or any political party. And, and you know, these verses here um, can expose in us some idolatry that we have been buying into and, um, and again, you know, we, when we put our trust in God, we know that we can have hope no matter who is winning because God is in control. Ultimately, he is going to take care of us through it all, right? So we can have peace in the midst of all of the political upheaval. It's a wonderful thing to, to be able to do that. We can also put up with being shelled from both sides, like Ben said. I can't say how many times I've been attacked by the people on all sides of this as I try to speak up about the truth and it stinks to be rejected even by people that, you know, vote like you do. And uh, all of that, because I've been attacked by people that have voted similarly to me um, and all of this. Um, But, you know, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable because the devil is at work in this world and we are prone to idolatry and, and we, we fall for his tricks and we fall for the things that look good to our sinful natures and um, in this world. But, 
you know, God's calling us to follow him through this, not the devil or anyone that he might prop up as a leader in this world. Um, and so um, I hope that you're willing to be honest with yourself and with the Lord, you know, about these issues and willing to be corrected. Not any one of us is right all of the time. And we even make mistakes in, in all like the political realm or in, in identifying things in this world too. all, all of us pastors, right. We don't have all of the answers, but we all need to be willing to, to admit when we're wrong and when we've been following a lie or when we've bought in too much to these things and we need to put our trust in the Lord alone. Yeah. And, you know, then we can, you know, we can think about too, like you said, Matt is even just taking the time to maybe to listen to, you know, perhaps the way that we speak about uh, that we speak about our, our nation. Now there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with, you know, giving thanks to God for, you know, the great gifts and blessings that he has given us, you know, in America, he's certainly done that. We are grateful for that. And we thank God for that. And, um, and so on, but sometimes the tendency, um, I mean, the tendency on the one side is to bash everything about America. And that's not, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to say it's all bad or that's, you know, that we should hate America or anything like that. There, again, there are many blessings and good things, but we also recognize that it's a mixed bag because there are a lot of, you know, not so good things too. But sometimes on the, on the right and sometimes in the church, the tendency is to kind of talk about America as if it's the best nation there ever was, or like, listen to how we talk about it. You know, it's just, you know, as if it has some special place in the heart of God. And we really need to, to recognize that we are a nation like any other nation. You know, that all of those nations in the past that have fallen by the wayside, they too once thought they were the greatest and that, that everyone should be like them. And they celebrated, you know, all of these things, you know, we're the best, we're the great, and they're dust in the ground. You know, and America is no different. We are a nation of sinners. And, you know, it is only by God's grace that we have existed as far as we, we have and and each day that we continue to exist is God's gift of grace. Um, but indeed the day may come. And if our Lord tarries long enough, indeed it will come at some point that the nation that as we know it will no longer be in existence. It'll go the way of all other nations. There is no eternal nation on this earth. Um, and so we need to keep that in mind so that we don't in, inadvertently end up in the idea in idolatry in regard to our own nation. Um, the devil is, is clever and he will, he'll take idolatry any way he can get it. And, you know, something that we can think of too, just, just something that maybe is really challenging and maybe you never thought about before too, but just think about the fact that, you know, so many of our churches we have right up next to the altar in our churches, we have our national flag. Just think about the imagery of that. What does that communicate, especially to someone, you know, who has not been brought up in the kind of culture that, that many of us were? What does that look like? Here you have, you know, essentially the holy of holies, right? This is the, the altar is the focal point of our, what we commonly call the whole room, the sanctuary, um, 
more technically correct, the big part where people sit in would be the nave and the sanctuary proper then is where the altar is. And that is where God in a very real sense comes to meet us, right? He, he gives himself to us, his body and blood in the Lord's Supper on this altar, from this altar, right? This is the place where God meets us and what do we have right next to it? The American flag. Does this not send a confusion of messages? Perhaps we should think about how easy it would be for people to get confused and think that America and Christianity are one and the same when that is a very dangerous thought. And so and I'm not saying, you know, storm your church buildings and cast out the flag. I mean, maybe have that conversation about, can we move it to the, to the narthex? That would be, be better. Um, you know, we have... Part of, part of it is this, you know, that Christianity, this goes along with it, that Christianity is a, is a universal thing, okay? And it's a timeless thing, right? And so when we have our altars adorned with, you know, for example, like a, a fair linen that has five crosses on it that speaks to us of the five wounds of Christ, right? There's something that's timeless and true about that, right? The pyramids that we adorn our altar with and our pulpits and our lecterns, you know, they have Christian symbols, on them that speak to us about who Christ is and what he has done for us, what God has done for us in Christ, the salvation that he has won. Um, and we look at those things and we learn what they mean. And we, and we say, Oh, this is teaching me something about God. And so symbolism and imagery is really important and it sends a message. Then in the midst of all of this stuff that is timeless, that spans, you know, it's not limited to one nation or the other. There we have a symbol that is specific to our nation, right up there in the holiest place, as it were. Does that not seem incongruent? Like one of these things is not like the others, right? And it doesn't mean that that we lack respect for our nation to not have a flag there. Um, but we recognize, yes, our nation is a gift from God, but it's not the church. That when we gather together around word and sacrament, that there's something else going on here. This isn't time for nationalism. Thankfulness to God for all of his gifts, including our nation. Yes, I'll say that again and again and again. I'm not anti-American. But we need to recover the distinction between that, you know, we could say the left hand and the right hand kingdom. Right? The right hand kingdom, God rules through his word and sacrament, delivers the forgiveness of sins. That's when we are gathered in that sanctuary, that's chiefly what is going on there is right hand kingdom things, word, sacrament, confession, forgiveness, absolution. That's what's going on there. When it comes to our civic duty as citizens of this nation, that's a left hand kingdom thing. So why is the left hand kingdom invading the right hand kingdom in our churches? Right. And so it's something to think about. I'm not, I'm not saying start an insurrection or anything. And and whatnot, but but these are good things for us to think of. So I don't know that a lot of times we even think about that. We're so used to that, you know. But it might catch us off, you know, a little more off guard if we were to go to say, you know, I don't know. Communication. I don't know. If we were to go uh, to, you know. I'll, I'll give you an example, Ben. I okay. had a I had a Canadian associate pastor for a little bit of time in Matt Sonnenberg. And well, that was one of the things that surprised him when he walked into the sanctuary. He goes, why in the world do you have an American flag in here? And I said, you don't have Canadian flags in your churches? He's like, I don't think so. Never seen one before. Yep. 
<clears throat> I so, mean that it communicates a a strong and probably mostly negative message to anybody from another nation, right? And and we recognize in the scriptures that God's emphasis is that he's breaking down borders and it's not about which nation you're from. And he is working on behalf of and for people of all tribes and tongues and nations, not, not showing any favoritism to any nation, right? And any nation that would set themselves up against the truth and against God and his message is an enemy, you know, and a, a work of the devil. And, <clears throat> you know, and so we see that we're, we're confusing these nationalistic ideas with God's work. And, you know, again, we're not supporting anything that's anti any particular government. We are called to be citizens vote according to our conscience and the truth and to respect our governing authorities and be thankful for them, pray for them, be a good faithful citizen. But um, our hope is not in things of this world and in this earthly kingdom where the devil is roaming and working amongst a bunch of us sinners. And, uh, and so if I, I don't know if I could, there's so much more we could say about this and maybe we'll get to more of it next week even but I would love to end on a happier note uh, about God's about, work. About how Montana, you know, America is not God's chosen nation that will endure forever, but Montana is God's chosen state that will endure forever. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's a happy note. Uh, that's not happy for us <laughs> Iowans. Here. Yeah, it's a short uh, drive, buddy. You were just here. <laughs> yeah, but let's just forget about Rhode Island and uh, move on. And, um, But... Hmm. You know, we have a few more verses here that um, we haven't really hit on too much. And there's some real encouragement here. Um, in verse six, if you don't mind me grabbing things and running a little bit, um, uh, it talks about how the beast opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is those who dwell in heaven. And so we see that that the beast is attacking God and his people. And, um, and it in verse seven, making war on the saints to conquer them and, and has authority over the tribes and peoples, languages, nations, right. Of this earth. I'm even remember reminded of the devil tempting Jesus with earthly power and authority. Right. And uh, as Jesus was tempted in the wilderness and we see that, that some people have bought into the devil's temptations and some authority and power, even when they were worshiping him earlier, they were impressed with his ability to like resurrect or resuscitate or, you know, bring power to some people, raise up people. Right. So they're worshiping him, ooing and aahing over his things that he offers of this world, worldly power and authority and, and favor and all of this. Right. Um, and uh, it says that those who dwell on earth, on earth will worship it. But this is everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. And so now we see that this, that the people who are worshiping things of this world and they, they are, they are not believers. They are not citizens of heaven. And, 
And now we see how sad it is that people who have put their trust in all of these earthly powers, political people, they are following the devil and they are lost. They are not going to heaven. They, their name is not written in the book of life or that, that same book of the lamb who was slain. But I think that this is also a great encouragement for those of us who, who may be on the losing end of a lot of political things or you think even, even of the church in China that's being oppressed and try, they're, they're being shut out by the communist government, right? Um, they, they might not be having, you know, living their best life now here on earth, but uh, I'll throw that, that phrase under the bus every chance I can get. Hashtag the way. <clears throat> but you know what? The fact of the matter is the, the, the Christians in that are, that are on the losing end of that political thing, their name is written in the book of life of the lamb who is slain. And that's all that matters, right? They're clinging to the truth. They're clinging to the gospel, the words of God, and nothing else matters. And the devil, he can, he can rage and he can do all these showy things. He can raise up people. He can influence governments and, and persuade people to buy into different politicians and political parties. And, and they could even be on the winning side of it. And, and whether they take it by force or by getting elected or whatever, you know, it ultimately doesn't matter. All of the work of the dragon and his beast in this world is is uh you know running a ship that's driving straight towards the lake of fire right and yeah, uh, and... yeah. go ahead jump in oh i was gonna say just you know just right along the same lines right at the end there um verse 10 it's kind of well nine and ten you know if anyone has an ear let him hear if anyone is to be taken captive to the captivity he goes if anyone is to be slain with the sword <clears throat> with the sword must he be slain? Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And it's kind of just like, well, what's going to happen is going to happen. You know, kind of almost, you know, it's really kind of that simple. You know, God is in control. He governs his world. He takes care of his church. And, you know, if, if the church is to go into captivity, well, guess what? We're going to go into captivity. If we're to be put to death, let me put to death. But guess what? That's okay. Just as what Matt was saying, because, we still have the day of resurrection. We have, you know, we go to be with the Lord immediately. And then we have the day of resurrection in the eternal kingdom. And so it's kind of like, eh, okay, whatever. The devil will rage as he will rage. And then he'll be done. And then will come the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and his saints will reign with him forever. So in light of that, stand firm, hold true, endure, right? That's John's word to the churches. Again, stand firm, endure, yep. because eternal life is yours in Christ. And man, I think we need this encouragement so much right now because a lot of Christians that I talk to feel like everything is so hopeless because America's fallen apart at the seams. Or, I mean, you could jump into any other context in the world and talk about how tough they've got it and they feel like it's fallen apart. You know what? Our hope isn't in any of that. Our hope is in the fact that God says our name is in the book of life because of the lamb who was slain and we're trusting in him. Right. And, and uh, you know, so we, we can have confidence in the face of it 
uh, to live as Christ and to die as gain, right? If we're going to live in this world, let's keep doing his work, standing for the truth, um, loving our neighbors, living in a way that pleases the Lord. And, and we pray that, that God would save more people that are around us, that Christ would be honored through the gospel ministry in this world that we have. But if we die, guess what? We're going to go stand before the Lord. He's going to read our name in the book of life. And he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come on in to the marriage supper of the lamb. And we're going to feast with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, that, that can give us hope to endure all that we might go through in this life. And so I hope that even though we've brought up some incredibly maybe controversial or offensive things, um, if you've been holding on to some of these things we're speaking against, uh, maybe you've been feeling just kind of hopeless about the state of our world or our country, or whatever. Hope that you're really encouraged by this message. Um, that if you're trusting in Christ, the Lamb who was slain, that, that you don't need to fear any of this. There's a guy from my church, and I think we'll close up on this guy from my church whose wife passed away close to 10 years ago now. And uh, they've got joint headstones for, for when he passes away and is buried as well. And on the headstones they had engraved, we win, right? In the end, we win because Christ has conquered. And so, Dwayne, if you're listening to this, I guess I'll, uh, I'll buy you uh, some supper. Just let me know I talked about your headstone. So we went in the end. Matt, would you close us on that good news? Let's do that. God, we thank you so much for, for your word. And um, I thank you that you challenge us um, and that you um, speak against the sin that we hold on to, the idolatry that we uh, buy into. And because we need to be humbled, we need to be corrected. We need to be shut down in our pursuit of evil. And uh, we need to be redirected back to the truth, back to the lamb who was slain for our sins. And so I pray, Lord, that with every one of us, that we would be driven back to the cross and to that empty tomb and that that's where we would find our hope. Uh, Father, we, we get so overwhelmed by things of this world, uh, so worried about things, wrapped up in trying to fix this world's problems. And we often think that through some politician or some political party or through some movement or, or whatever, that we might find hope or the answers or that we might finally achieve peace or, or unity or love or some, some kind of... Uh, paradise on earth and yet we realize lord that that we can't find that in any people or things of this world or um uh, or any of that because it is through these things that the devil is actually working to lead us away from christ we pray lord that we would instead see that you have provided the way uh, that you are the way the truth and the life and that we can come to the Father through Jesus. And I pray um, in, in all of this that we would see that you are still at work in this crazy evil world where the devil is raging and deceiving people. You care for us in the midst of it, protect us, and that you're bringing us home. And that you use Christians even when we're beaten down and on the losing side of political stuff um, to be a testimony to you in this world for the sake of the salvation of our neighbors, 
that the gospel would go forth uh, to all of them, to every tribe and nation uh, of this earth. And so I pray, Lord, that we would uh, put our trust in you, the King of Kings, and and in no other. And I pray that we would be um, <clears throat> actively seeking how you would have us live our life in this world as faithful servants of yours, as gospel bearers in this world, but that we would do it with uh, hope that is unshakable and joy and peace in the midst of all of it, um, seeking just to represent you well and to love our neighbors that they may be saved. And so uh, be our hope and our anchor, Lord, in the midst of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. I picture myself more as a gospel teddy bear rather than a gospel bearer. I thought you were going to say something about gospel triceratops. Yo, gospel triceratops. I'm all about that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. See you guys. See you.